listening to Tarot Visions. You lucky devil. Hey, Rose. Hey, Jamie. How's it going? Not bad. How are you? Oh, that's a big sigh. Yeah, it's a good sigh. It's one of those longing sighs. Uh, It's autumn. I just mm. recently have been finishing kind of a review of all the stuff that I've done the first nine months of this year. And I've been thinking, like some of us do, about conventions. Ah, so we're we're getting ready to harvest last year's crops, I guess, and start yeah. sowing the seeds for, for 2020. Yep. Yeah, I, I hear you. All kinds of different things are coming up. Like there's Pentheacon, there's Newt's. And then there's that crazy one that we went to in April, well, almost May even, and they had that awesome poster, right? Yes, yes, Reader Studio. Right, right, that's the one. What was it, at the beginning of this month or something, they announced the seats were open for 2020. When I saw that, I think I leapt over the couch. (laughs) I didn't knock over any kitties, but I had to go grab a seat. I know that you're still thinking about it. It's not that I'm thinking about it. It's it's a longing and a planning. So if I can make it, I totally will, because that's one of my favorites to go to. And I know, especially with the new Divination Day thing that they're doing, that they did last year, and then they're doing it again this year. I'm so excited. And of course, Barbara Moore's speaking and all of the fun things that will happen there. But you know what I really liked about this year? The 2019? Yeah. What? The poster. I know, right? It was so cool. So normally they put like people or cards on it or something. This year, however, the artist did us. I know, right? But it, but it wasn't us. It was well, it wasn't animal. actually us. Yeah, but it was it was animal uses. Yes, it was. And it was definitely animal yeah. of us. That was yep. true, and we did post a picture with a, ourselves with it on our on our Facebook page. Yeah, uh, for Tarot Visions, because again, you being our wonderful owl who is slightly derpy but never never goofy, and then me with all of the shiny raven incarnations that I have. And I think it was pretty darn perfect. I wonder, though. Yeah. Who who made that again? What you know, her name? her name is Callie French, and she's oh. actually vocal to me. Do you think we could talk to her today? I, you know, I think the cards and all the signs might point to yes. Well, let me pull a card and see what I can do. Hmm. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. We've got out the Ravenwood, or excuse me, Robinwood. Ravenwood. Uh-huh. It's You might as well have a raven on it. Too bad no I kidding. You know, I'm hey, surprised. That sound. I'm... Let's see if we can get the high priestess here up on her. <gasps> yes, yes, we can. Ta-da! It's fortuitous. Let's... Fortuitous, we... high priestess, artist lady, Callie French. Can we talk to you? Yes, you may. Woohoo! Yay! Hi, it's Callie. Amazing about Hot how Rose. Our divination <laughs> skills work. We can bring in anybody at any moment. It's great. Well, it is it is that month, so it might be a good day to rub our hands together and say thank you for showing up based on a spell because October or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more than happy to show up for you, too. Well, thank you very much. How are you today? I'm good. I am loving the fall weather. I, I yes. totally hear you. All right, so let's let's let you do a little bit of introductory 
magic for us and tell us a little bit about yourself for our lovely listeners. Ah, the bio. Let's see. You can take it any way you like. You can make it silly if you want. (laughs) Well, I was going to say that you two see yourselves as the slightly dwarpy owl and the raven with the shiny things. And I was wondering, what animal would I be? Ooh. And... I've seen clips of elephants that love to paint. They'll put the paintbrush in their trunk and they'll paint. And they know exactly what they're doing because they dip certain paints and then they'll paint with it. And then they'll wash the brush out to be able to change colors. So perhaps I'm an elephant because I'm a self-taught artist, as elephants are self-taught artists. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how an elephant would fling cards but then again there's that trusty trunk i learned how to read tarot cards from my grandmother and i certainly don't see her as an elephant Mm. (laughs) maybe in some way or another she was well an elephant never forgets that's true that is true so i was taught how to read tarot cards by my grandmother who actually preferred to read standard playing cards. So she would finish playing cards with her girlfriends, gin, rummy, or bridge, and she'd shuffle the cards and then say, so who wants their fortune read? (laughs) So she taught me to read cards, and my mother was an artist, so she taught me how to paint. So this is definitely in my blood and something I enjoy doing. Wow. So then how did you graduate from learning to read the playing cards? to then finding tarot? Because again, they are, they are similar mediums, and yet not necessarily. Well, my mother had a lot of very interesting friends that would meet once a month on Tuesday, but they called it the Wednesday group. And one of those women, who was a member of the Theosophical Society, most of them were, I believe, read tarot cards. So I saw the first tarot cards from her. My godmother, who's also a Theosophical Society member, read tea leaves and poems. So definitely a lot of influence from family, friends, and all crones. It was definitely a crone generation that influenced me. Huh. Can you talk more about that? Because that's an interesting, you know, statement that Crohn's influenced you. Well, my mother was an older mother. She was 38, 39 when I was born. And all of her friends were much older than the rest of my mother's friends. When I would go over to my girlfriend's homes or my cousin's home, and one of the neighbors would come over. They would have their, their, mo- their mother would have their friends over. These were more the late 20s, early 30 age mothers. My mom, as I said, was a good 10 years older than most of them. And for whatever reason, she definitely hung out with women older than herself by another 15 to 20 years. It could have been that she did that because she didn't have a mother. Her mother died when she was 
seven or eight. And so it could have been that's what she was looking for. But I had I ended up with a lot of grandmother type women in my life. Interestingly enough, I always felt that that's where the wisdom was, was the older women in particular. And it wasn't until I turned 40 that I finally felt I looked like I felt. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I always felt like, even when I was in my teenage years or my early 20s, I always felt like I was 40. Mm-hmm. When I turned 40 and I looked at myself in the mirror, I said, ah, I have finally become a more seasoned woman. I was a crone. Mm-hmm. And now I definitely am in a, a crone at this age. <laughs> it makes perfect sense because even though I was the eldest of two in my family, most of my friends were a lot older. I'm now at a point where I'm the oldest in most of my circles, which is kind of a role reversal. However, my older friends taught me so much. Like in college, don't get credit cards. Don't, if you do, don't fill it up and don't, you know, hop from one card to the next to the next because credit debt sucks. So I love this thing where you had all these wonderful elder voices humming in your ears, telling you things and giving you a lot of the wisdom that they've learned and passed down so that you kind of had a jump start on here's how to build a more successful life. True, true. I'm not so sure that I had a lot of older friends, but I did stay in very close contact with all of my mother's friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but those... But those are still the influences of that that give you those life lessons uh, as well, which is kind of nice to to hear that, you know, I think from both Jamie and I have had older friends as well. Um, and now we're becoming the older friend is I think is what she's trying to get at. Yes. And learning the life lessons and sharing the life lessons that we have to, as we both are coming into our crone years as well, I think, as I'm turning 50 this year, I don't know when Jamie turns older than that. But I know that that's important and that we both have those influences. I mean, we, all, a lot of our tarot friends specifically mm-hmm. are cherished advisors and, and elders of our community, which is great. And then, of course, we are that middle ground, I think, of getting the, the next gen. We're not mothers ourselves necessarily, unless you count all the ideas and projects we all birth. <laughs> so what influences you today? Since you are now the crone, as you pointed out, what what influences you today and how do you share your crone ideas? Well, it's interesting. I teach. I teach tarot. And that gives me the opportunity to be the crone. Mm-hmm. By doing that, then I have younger influences, their creative ideas, and their questions are what are the driving force to my creativity. That's very exciting. I love that you have a tangential life where everything that you're interested in, everything that you do, teaching, painting, sharing your wisdom is kind of all integrated where I feel like you can't separate some of this from the others because it's all part of you. Ah, yes, that's very true. That's very true, which reminds me of your book, Jamie. Well, thank you. (laughs) Love the book. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I've Gotta know, though, what was your first deck? I really, really want to know. Oh, it was the standard Rider Waite with the blue 
and black plaid on the back. So I got that in the 70s. So I was just out of college. No, I was still in college. So 72, 74. Mm-hmm. Had, yeah. had, did you end up seeing um, the Thoth deck as well at that time? Or was that not something that you encountered? I did not encounter it at that time. And it was probably because, as I said, these older crone type women in my mother's circle, mm-hmm. that was the deck she used. Was yeah. not the Thoth, but the Rider weight. Right. So it was almost like, well, of course, that's what I'm going to get. Interestingly enough, I don't remember where I got it. I don't remember if perhaps she gave it to me because that used to be the old standby. Oh, no, no, you can't buy your own deck. You have to be given it. Right, of course. Yeah. I love tarot myths, man. There's so (laughs) many and there's just, it's amazing to hear what other myths we have. That's true. It's true. So I may have been given that deck and that's why it was that deck because it was the one she was using. And I believe that the back of hers was different. Mm -hmm. It was a different design. And I believe she had purchased it over in England. Oh, neat. Mm -hmm. So did you buy the deck before she started teaching you or did she teach you a little bit with her decks and then... Through, like you said, you don't know how you received the deck, but then you were gifted it or you know, bought it. She would teach me from her deck. And I did not have a deck of my own until I was at least 20. Mm-hmm. So I think I was using her deck and I would only read when I was with her. Mm-hmm. Her name was Esther Krebs. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely Pamela Coleman Smith illustrations, but as I said, the back was different. She started teaching me when I was probably about 12 or 14 years old. Mm, Wow. Mm -hmm. It's one of those moments of, I wish I had that kind of influence openly. I I found out later on that my family had these kind of things. Like my mom was reading runes and things, but not when I was a kid. They they didn't talk about that. So it's really neat to hear that you've gotten those female influences who were actually talking about what they were doing, not just hiding it from the kids, if you will. Or even playing games with it and, and, Hey, yeah. let's read, you know, let's divination. Yeah. It just brings back the mind of what the parlor, the ladies in the parlors were probably doing in the 1800s and such. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when did you decide that, I mean, obviously it's always been in your blood, but when did you decide that, no, yeah, I think I'm going to be an artist. That's what I want to do. Oh, I decided that when I was probably in eighth grade. Hmm. And my father laughed at me and said, you're crazy, you'll starve. (laughs) And so I said, all right, I'll figure out something. So when I went to college, you know, I have typical, don't know what I'm going to do. So I'll be a fine arts major, art history major. Mm -hmm. And actually, I have a degree in interior design. So I went to University of Puget Sound. And that way, this is before CAD, Computer Assisted Design. So when you did a room design, you had to draw it. So rapidograph pens, Mm -hmm. ink that you had to fill the pen with, and please don't let it spill type thing. Mm -hmm. And the renderings of the rooms, everything had to be in perspective. So that's how I fulfilled my desire to be an artist was by being an interior designer. Wow. And did you end up doing any of that at all as a career for a while? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I spent probably 25 years as a very successful interior designer. I did a lot of 
homes, but I primarily focused on medical offices. And see, people, you wouldn't have known it, but yes, an interior designer did design your doctor's office. (laughs) Don't blame the doctor all the time. (laughs) Not that we should blame the interior designer. Thank you, Callie. Wow, I I would never have thought of that as doctor's offices having interior designers. That's kind of amazing. So when did you start blending your artistic talents in with painting decks or even just the tarot? When did that start coming through? Ah, I married a phenomenal man in 2003 who worked for a very large Fortune 500 company that every two and a half years they would move him. At this point, my son was 16 years old, and it was not a a great idea to drag the poor child around from high school to high school and have him come home to nobody being there. So I retired in 2003 from the corporate world myself and decided to really get into painting because every time that my husband was going to be moved by the corporation, I realized that I could not go out for an interview, hand the company my resume, shake their hand and say, thank you for the job offer. However, I'll be gone in two and a half years. So I just retired and decided to really get serious about painting what I wanted to. And that was a tarot deck. So what was your first tarot deck? That I painted? Yeah. Oh, I... I started painting with oils because I'd always done watercolors for the renderings, Mm -hmm. but I liked oils. I liked the feeling of the texture of the paint moving across the canvas and the canvas itself has texture. And it was just yummy to see this buttery glob of paint transform into an object. And I was doing a very typical Pamela Coleman Smith type, designs, Mm -hmm. but it also had a little bit of the BOTA, Builders of the ADM, is that how you, ADM, say Mm -hmm. it, feel to it, because I'd been studying that a bit as well. And then we moved to Scotland. And in Scotland, I couldn't use oil paints because the house we were living in was built in 1840, 12-inch solid granite walls. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't rinse out my brushes in the turpentine and pour it down the drain. So Uh, I had to switch to watercolor. mm. And I've stayed with watercolor ever since. Wow. Okay. So did you end up printing out this deck or did it get picked up by a company? It's still sitting in the closet. So in other words, you're going to let us look at it and we're going to help you put it out (laughs) into the world. All right, everyone, you've heard it now. There will be a Kickstarter tarot deck at some point. No, no dates on the calendars yet, but no dates on the calendar because at the moment I am working on a deck. I'm under contract with us games for Uh a a tarot deck at the moment. It'll, the working name is tarot of the 1800s. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'd love to, love to. I've taken the time period because I find it a fascinating time period and easily recognizable for a lot of people. For example, the emperor in my deck is Napoleon Mm -hmm. because he was truly the last emperor that the world historically has seen. Truth. Yes. So that's the time period, but I've taken the majors 
are the leaders around the world in specific areas, Russia, Mm -hmm. Europe, the Ottoman Empire in Northern Africa, and the United States. Oh, wow. In the suits, the wands are the Ottoman Empire in Northern Africa. Mm -hmm. The cups are Europe, a lot of France, things like that. The swords are Russia, Mm -hmm. and the pentacles are the United States. Oh, wow. Part of me has questions, and part of me understands that completely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the way I was taught is not the way that 100% of the tarot world agrees, because nothing is the same in tarot. Nope, we have no standards. Everyone has their own perspective, yes. Mm -hmm. So the wands to me are fiery and hot, and lots of creative energy. This was all the Ottoman Empire Mm -hmm. in in the way that they literally swept across north, south, and east, and west, conquering left, right, and center. Russia was a very intellectual power. Not that they had a lot of universities, but they were intellectual in their thought processes and ready to go to war quite easily at the drop of half, especially at 1800. They've just come out of Catherine the Great and Peter the First, and mm-hmm. they went to war easily, especially with Napoleon a lot. Mm. So yeah, I felt that the pentacles fit America as the land of the golden streets and opportunity for anybody around the world to show up and make a living mm-hmm. better than where they had come from. So the pentacles with the material wealth that was always more readily available Right. Or at least idealized as such, especially in the 1800s. That's very true. Absolutely. It's still a young enough nation where people were not thrown into, oh, well, your father was a baker. You're going to be a baker too. Right. Right. We weren't there yet. No. Well, that sounds very exciting. And then of course, I also heard somewhere somehow that you're working on something that's coming out from U.S. Games called the Pride Tarot. Yeah. So I was contacted by my editor at U.S. Games, and they have a Pride Tarot coming out next year. And they asked their group of artists who would be interested. And I assume most of us raised our hands. I hope we all raised our (laughs) hands. I certainly did. And they asked us to submit which cards we would like to possibly illustrate. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was assigned two of the ones on my list, the Chariot and the Seven of Swords. Oh, how exciting. Yes. So I believe most of the artists for this deck are somewhere in the LGBTQ plus world. Mm -hmm. I'm not. However, my son is gay. My goddaughter's lesbian. And being a design major in college, I have always been surrounded by the LGBTQ community. There wasn't a straight guy in any of my design classes in college. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, at least that you knew of. That I knew of. Well, you you, you never know. You never know. It's true. They would have stuck out like a sore thumb is all I can say. (laughs) Right. But that's great that you're being able to produce, be a part of this wonderful new deck and also, you know, show the ally. Allies can also have a little bit of understanding in the community as well and want to support that community. I think that's wonderful. I think that's exactly why I pushed myself in there, if you would, Mm -hmm. because 
in a way I feel it's almost necessary for people who are not a legitimate member of it to support it. Yes. Yes. I agree that the support needs to be shown that we don't need to get the center of attention, but we do want to provide our support in any way we can to make sure that those voices are highlighted in our community as well. Do you recall where the, you said that there's portions of the sales of this deck will go to a local youth center. So do you know which one? I don't know exactly which one. I do know that when the deck is released, there will be a lot more information available then. Mm -hmm. I believe that it's a local youth center close to where U.S. Games is located or within the New York area. Oh, exciting. Okay, well, then I guess we should all pay attention to U.S. Games website when that comes out. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. So the one thing that has always intrigued me about you, Callie, Well, listeners, I've been to Callie's house. It's amazing. Um, She's come over here, especially with the Reader Studio art. She brought some of her artwork. The thing I noticed about your art is that it is all completely hand done. Like you said, you're more of the fine artist where you don't digitally manipulate things at all. I mean, you basically paint on paper or on the, the artboard and then you have to turn that into somebody. So can you walk us through your process on how you create your art and then get that to U.S. Games or get it into that miniaturized format? Well, I start with a lot of research and I pull out items and start making notes of color, the symbolism that I want to show in the card. So that will be scribbled all around the edges of my first sketch. And I start sketching on what's called newsprint. And it's basically a very yellow type paper. It looks like something you would give a two-year-old and could care less about what they do with it because the paper is disgusting. But that's what I start with. And I start with pencil. This is not a type of paper you can erase on. So everything is literally just very quick, very fast. The first impulse I get is what I put down on this paper. Then I take it basically to an eight and a half by 11 format because that's an easy size for me to work with. And I will start cutting and pasting, literally, not on the computer, but literally cutting and pasting design ideas onto this eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that you use in your copier. I will often have to change sizes of things from the cut and paste that I've done that's large on that newsprint stuff. And I will get it down to the sizes I need. I like, for example, in the majors, I like to have my major people all about the same size. So you don't go from a large person in the chariot to a small person as the emperor. I like to have things about the same size. So I've got to get it to work within this restricted size area. From the eight and a half by 11, I then actually go to the same size, but I use tracing paper at that stage. And I start tracing on this fine vellum what I want. And on that, I I can actually erase and I will then do a final inking with, I use micron pens. I like them because they don't bleed, run, or smear. And then I put that on my light table, which is a small board. I'm going to say it's, it's probably an 18 by 15 piece of opaque glass with a light behind it, about an inch and a quarter thick. And 
at that stage, I bring in what I call my straight. It's a piece of watercolor paper. I use a hot press, not a cold press, because the hot press has a smoother finish to it. I'll put that on top of it. And from the lice table, then I will trace onto the straight, the watercolor paper, my final art piece. Some of it is done in pencil. Some of it is done in ink. So the things that I do not want to have be prominent, like the background, those I do in pencil. Those items are trees or the horizon. That's in pencil. The main character, the main subject, will be inked in a very fine ink line. I take that off the light table. I tape it onto a piece of plywood, put it on my easel, and I start painting. Wow, that's... That's a process. Yeah, that's a bigger process than what I imagined. I know a lot of other physical artists that do decks will either do it to size or adjustments, but I didn't realize how much of a process you take to go through this. There's like no room for error in some ways for you to, because if somebody says, oh, I don't like this or this hand needs to be positioned somewhere else. I start over. Wow. Yeah. That's. I start over. And unfortunately, my husband is my biggest critic. Now, now, that might be a good thing, but he will, he rarely looks at it as I'm drawing it. He waits until the very last minute when I'm done. He will look over my shoulder and say, what is that doing there? That's totally wrong. It's awful. <laughs> Thanks, honey. And I throw it out and I start over. To get it to U.S. games, then everything has to be scanned. They request a 300 Minimum for a DPI, I like to send them a 600 DPI. And so it's just scanned. Now everything is the same size and it's actually large, but it's proportionately large with enough bleed. There's about a half an inch bleed all the way around so that they can shift if they need to, although everything's centered. So I haven't had the shifting happen. But then I send them the 600 DPI file. Wow. That's, That's why it takes me so long. Yes, but that means that it's done beautifully and exactly how you want it, which is, wow. Just wow. Yeah. No. <laughs> how, do yeah. I, how do I say? What else do I say? It's like, I, I can't even imagine not being able to, to have it digitally change it, but I get it. It's your process, and I think it's wonderful. I remember yeah. listening to another deck creator, and I do not know how to pronounce his name. It's Patrick from the Deviant yeah moon Mm -hmm. okay and he says well he'll draw it and then he'll put it on his computer and clean it up i'm thinking Mm -hmm. you do what (laughs) (laughs) oh i've done that i've got a wonderful friend that does a lot of my art for my handouts my worksheet handouts for my classes her name is kathy stone and she's amazing she'll draw these beautiful artworks i scan them in and then yeah sometimes you'll see eraser lines or something so sometimes you got to go in and just wipe that out Ah, but I can't imagine having to start over, especially for something like um, listeners. If you were to Reader Studio here in 2019, you've seen that poster. Those that haven't will link to the image or something, or I'll put it up somewhere. Or you could go to our Facebook page and look at that because it is really intricate. And I got to see the original in print, and there are two different versions. And one of them, I was like, no, we're going to force them to use this one because it just came out more vibrant than the next. 
But yeah, I just can't imagine you putting in weeks or months into one image and then having been told, eh, this is kind of wrong, do it again. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'd ever get a deck done. How long do you think it takes you or it would take you to make a deck like this 1800s deck? How long, when did you start on it? Well, let's put it this way. I missed my first deadline from U.S. Games and I was just panicked over it. And they said, oh, don't worry. Nobody is ever on time. It's okay. So I'm not worried about it. By the time it gets to them, I would say it's probably going to be about two and a half years. Please understand, though, I don't do it every day. Which makes sense. It's not something you can do every day, I would think. I have to have breathing space, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why being able to do those two cards for the Pride Tarot was a welcome relief. I mean, I'm still doing tarot. But of course, it was a break out of the 1800s. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I made it very contemporary and current. Oh, nice. Because it gives you that fresh perspective to be, okay, let me put my feet back in today's world. Okay. And now yeah. back to 1800s, 1800s yeah. <laughs> frame of mind. Yes. I think for all of us, while we all love terror, we do this professionally. There are some days, you know, I do maybe the daily draw and that's it. There are times where I'm like, I don't even want to write about them. I don't want to look at them. Or maybe I'll just look over at my collection and say, yeah, I have one. But yeah, I think especially creatives, we need that space. And even Mm -hmm. as readers, sometimes we need the space either to go to an Oracle deck and say, I need to play with something different than the 78 card structure of the tarot. So Mm -hmm. it definitely recharges and refuels us. So I'm glad that you have the ability to paint other things instead of just focus on the tarot. It's refreshing for me. Definitely. So then back to the not so refreshing, since we just said that, what's the, the what's one of your favorite things about being able to create and use tarot for yourself? Ah, whoa. Let's see now. <laughs> I find it interesting that when I do, I do not do a daily draw. I mm-hmm. definitely do new moon, full moon, solstice, equinoxes, things like that. I do event readings mm-hmm. for myself. I will do a week ahead. So on Sunday, I draw seven cards, mm-hmm. probably every other week, but not every week. Mm-hmm. So once again, I take the downtime. So it's an on again, off again. Mm-hmm. So and it's almost like a pulse for me with tarot, where it's your heart beats and then it rests and then it beats and then it rests. And I find that that's how I approach tarot is that way. I've just recently been intrigued by Oracle decks and Mm -hmm. I have never liked Oracle decks. So I am dabbling a little bit in that now because I got one that I just, I had to have and I love it. Okay. What is it Uh, then? No, 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 no. (laughs) We're not (laughs) skipping over that. If you've never, I want to know which one caught your attention. Same here. It's the Arthur Rackham Oracle deck, which uh-huh. is one of my favorite artists. He was prominent in the early 1900s. 1908 mm-hmm. seemed to be his most prolific year. And I got this from Duck Soup Productions. Yes. yes. The cardstock is phenomenal. Everything has got gold edges that are to die for. And I love the weight of it in my hand. So that's my Oracle deck that just lit up the Oracle world for me. I see. So you got the Arthur Rackham Oracle. See, I I also got that deck from Duck Soup because I just, well, to be fair, 
the reason I picked up that deck is because Jamie and I worked on a similar deck called the Fairy Oracle for La Scarabeo. It was also using the art of Arthur Rackham as well. And I just love the fact that they are similar veined oracles, and yet they yeah. are very, very different. different. Yeah. And it's kind of lovely to be able to put them together too, is to see. And yeah, I just, since we're here, I'm going to pull one because I have that deck handy. <laughs> I was unpacking all of my stuff. And the one that I picked was called Distraction. Wow, that's kind of interesting. It says Diver- Divisionary Tactics. Interesting. So what does that tell you? That we were just diverted from tarot to oracle. Yeah, <laughs> very true. You know, I find it's really odd because as we talk to different tarot folks on this podcast and just out in the world in general, there seems to be something, a rippling effect because this year I have bought more Oracle decks than tarot decks and even Lenormand. I got a small supply of Lenormand. I I thought, well, maybe I'll just keep 10 Oracle decks, but I think I now have between 20 and 30 of them. And I have no idea why. But for some reason, Oracle decks seem to be coming across my path more often. So I know that I need to start playing with them and figuring out what they are trying to communicate to me. So I find it very interesting that here's Callie and here's Rose picking up more Oracle decks at the same time. (laughs) Well, a reflection of that is the New York Conference Readers Studio. Mm -hmm. Last year had their first divination day. They haven't done runes yet, and I hope they will soon. They haven't done oracle decks yet, and I hope yeah. they do soon. But that would be a phenomenal thing to add into that divination day. I agree. That's something I tried to do with the Northwest Tarot Symposium back when I was program directing, is I wanted classes specifically on one oracle deck, whether it was oh. a non-system deck, basically, because oracle decks have their own uniqueness about them. And sometimes we poo-poo them because while they're not like tarot, they're not structured. I don't know how to use these. But to me, a well-designed divination deck has a structure or has a purpose to it. There are two I just acquired. I got the Garden Dragons Oracle that Ah. Lynch wrote the booklet for. And I also got Paulina Cassidy's new one from US Games. And I can't remember what it is. Begins with the word P. But both of those decks have specific purposes of pulling a card a day for like intention setting. Paulina's deck doesn't have a book because it doesn't need one. It's just pull a card a day and and do the action or do the thing on it. And that sort of idea intrigues me a whole heck of a lot. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah. See, now maybe I would do that daily as you do tarot daily. I may try doing the divination daily. I think that'd be fun. And then we can bring you back next year after a year of you doing it. And you can tell us what you found out or how, <laughs> how it inspired you even more. I will. I'd love to. Well, that would be fantastic. And then also, of course, we get to see you in March at the Newt Symposium. So can you give us a hint of, or an idea of what you might teach this year? Yes, I'd be glad to. I'm going to teach card counting. This is not the Las Vegas style card counting. Ah, oh, darn it. I was hoping. <laughs> Have <Well>, a moment. <laughs> bring some more psychic money into our lives. Yeah, well, wouldn't that be lovely? I think that's illegal, however. So we're not doing, that's not what I'm teaching. Okay. 
And this is actually something that I learned over in England when I was living there. Mm-hmm. And it's the majors are assigned a value associated with whether they are a planet or an astrological sign or one of the three mother signs. So each one of those categories has a different numerical value. The ace through tens have a value. All the court cards have a different value. Mm -hmm. So you use these numerical values when you're reading. If you do a 10 card spread, let's say the Celtic cross, and then you spread it out into one linear line, one through 10, you sometimes these cards won't talk to each other. But if you have, let's say, the chariot as your first card, which would be the crux of the matter or the issue at hand in the Celtic cross, how do you get it to talk to the ace of wands, which is five cards down? When they're in a linear line, (laughs) linear line is the same thing. When they are linear, they can't talk to each other. I think of it as almost a group of actors on a stage Mm -hmm. and each card says its own line. We're hearing individual voices. The card counting allows the cards to talk to each other. Ooh, that brings to mind Lenormand, like knighting or other things where you kind of move around them and have them pair up, even though they might be in different places in the in a grand tableau. Yes, that you can follow the lines down and cross over in Lenormand. That's in a way what this card counting does, but it is because it's tarot. It's very structured. So this is a numerical value system that's assigned to the card depending on their place in tarot and then having counting from one card to the next with its value. Ooh. All right. Well, I look forward to learning more about that. That sounds exciting. Yeah. I've heard of card counting, both the Vegas and the tarot style. I've never done it before. So yeah, this will be something fun and new to, to learn. Good. Glad you're looking forward to it. Very much so. Well, is there anything else that we can look forward to in the Cali French universe that you're working on and you want to share real quick before we close out for our wonderful afternoon with you? Well, thank you for having me here. The only thing I can say is I do have one other thing up my sleeve I can talk about. Okay. And that is a tarot cookbook. We've had tarot shows on cooking and things like that. Sasha teaches that, I believe, Sasha Graham. Yeah. This one is actually a cookbook that is being worked on for each card. So 78 different recipes. Wow. Mm -hmm. That'll be exciting. Unfortunately, I'm gaining a ton of weight testing all these recipes and I'm not doing the cooking. I have a chef that does that. That person. You know, that happens because there's another Llewellyn author, Guion, who is publishing a book, Food Magics. Oh. Talking about how eating and the art of making food in itself is magic. It's one of the oldest forms of magic. And he's got some recipes in that book. And he's also mentioned, hey, you know, I've gained a couple of pounds extra. So I think there's something about, (laughs) you know, having to taste test all the recipes or all the magical things when you put out a food book. The magic would be being able to eat all of that and not gain weight. Yes, that would there be you go. very magical. We're going to have to see if we can practice that with your new book. So, <laughs> no guarantees. No guarantees. And do you have a print date on that yet or just an an estimate? 
No, I don't, simply because that cookbook will be tied to my tarot deck of the 1800s. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, then we look forward to hearing when those things come out. And okay, I'm really excited about the tarot cookbook. I'm not going to fib. <laughs> <laughs> I might slip you a few recipes just so you can test them on your, on your own family. What do you think? We'll keep you in, in mind with that. I'm volunteering happily, and uh, we will let the listeners know how we did once we get to that point. <laughs> okay. I, you'll have to invite me over sometimes because, yeah. Yeah, you two are local to each other, and I'll just we are We are geographically, but it, it, we unfortunately have to go through horrible traffic to get to each other. But and on a map, rivers. we look real close. Yeah. <laughs> Two, yeah, over two rivers and through the woods to... Callie's know. house, you'll go. Yeah. <laughs> well, pretty much. Thank you so much, Callie, for your time this today. And thank you, Jamie, of course, for all of the wonderfulness that you are. And everyone, yes, you all just need to find a Jamie Elford in your life. And if you don't have her yet, you will. <laughs> thank you, Mike, for editing as usual. And thank you, Kendra, for the beautiful music for the intro and our outro. And we hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Tarot Visions, a podcast for the modern oracle. To keep the conversation going, find us on Facebook at Tarot Visions US or follow us on Twitter at Tarot underscore Visions. 